Educational and regulatory measures aimed at combating the opioid epidemic have resulted in a reduction in the quantity of opioids prescribed in the United States. But these measures have had an unintended consequence. Along with manufacturing problems in several pharmaceutical companies, they have contributed to severe shortages of the most commonly used parenteral opioids at cancer centers and hospitals around the country. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Eduardo Bruera, Chair of the Department of Palliative Rehabilitation and Integrative Medicine at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Dr. Bruera has written a perspective article about the ongoing shortage of parenteral opioids. Dr. Bruera, you write in your article that over the past several years, the amount and the types of opioids prescribed to patients with cancer have been changing. So what explains those trends? Thank you very much. We have seen a reduction in the morphine equivalent dose that oncologists are giving their patients before they refer them to a supportive care and palliative care team every year for the last five or six years. And the dose reduction has been about 50% overall. And there's probably a couple of explanations for these. One of them is that the process of prescribing opioids is becoming more burdensome to their practices, to the practices of oncologists and internists. And many of them choose to refer their patients directly to supportive or palliative care teams a little bit earlier than before when the patients start perceiving pain, but also that probably they are taking other measures to treat the patients trying to avoid using Schedule II opioids, such as using non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or Schedule IV opioids, very mild opioids. And so there's probably multiple reasons for that, but certainly that's one of, as you very well pointed out, one of the unexpected consequences of the measures that we're taking to address the opioid overdose epidemic. In February, the pharmacy at your cancer center and pharmacies at many other hospitals announced severe and immediate shortages of parenteral opioids. How have you and other hospitals responded to those shortages? First, we had a lot of concerns because the three opioids that are in shortage are the three most commonly used parental opioids in the United States, morphine, hydromorphone, and fentanyl. And those three opioids are between 80 and 220 years old. So they're extremely old, extremely low-cost medications, and they're used very frequently for the management of postoperative pain or severe pain that needs to be stabilized. So our initial reaction was to identify measures that we could implement to bypass those shortages, including more aggressive use of opioids by mouth or transdermal uses, using uncommon opioids such as buprenorphine or nalbufen. And in general, we tried to make sure that the patients were still receiving opioid analgesics, although the three most common and the most useful route was not that available anymore. So our reaction has been to try to go around this very difficult challenge, but I would propose that the success in doing that has only been partial since all the measures that we can implement to go around this problem are not as successful as having the three most common parenteral opioids widely available. Do you have any sense of when full access to those three drugs might be restored? What's the FDA doing to address the violations in manufacturing practices that were part of what led to this? 
Regrettably, I'm not so aware, and it's not that clear, what the relative contribution has been of the measures that require a reduction of 20% in the annual production of opioids, and to which degree they are those violations identified in manufacturers. So the timing for the resolution of this problem is unknown, and most of the regulatory authorities and institutions are planning medium to long-term ways of addressing these shortages, since they do not seem to be short-term problems. In fact, in your article, you talk about several ways in which hospitals can reduce the risk of medication errors and delayed analgesia during the shortage, which, as you say, may be long-term. Are hospitals currently using those strategies that you recommend? Overwhelmingly, the institutions are not applying those strategies in a coordinated fashion. The use of the electronic health record to assist physicians immediately, identifying when an opioid they're prescribing is currently not available, and advising for immediate alternative opioids and the right dose that is necessary might be a wonderful measure, but it requires some time and usually modification of EHRs can be quite expensive. The use of less common opioids, including nalbufin, buprenorphine, or rectal methadone, they are all options, but they're potentially complex because change from one opioid to another has considerable interpersonal variability. And so it requires adjustment in dose and monitoring for side effects. And finally, what might be a solution that is a rapid consult to a supportive and palliative care team is not widely available since teams of supportive and palliative care physicians were already understaffed before the overdose epidemic. So it's not likely to be readily available, especially in less complex medical centers. Another potential solution that you describe is the establishment of strategic opioid reserves in hospital pharmacies. What would be required to actually do that, and and is it feasible? We believe it's feasible. The main problem that has occurred since the opioid shortage started has been the unreliable supplies. So there are moments when a certain parental opioid becomes available, and then that one is in shortage, and then the problem happens with another one. So organizing ways in which the same as there's a strategic oil reserve that ensures that in moments of shortage, there is enough oil. I think having a strategic parental opioid supply is reasonable, and that will help institutions and health systems make sure that in the face of unreliable manufacturers and unreliable regulatory environment, they are still able to make those opiates available to their patients. I did learn about that in Canada when I worked there, and we learned it from many other colleagues, is that producing parental opiates from powder by hospital pharmacists is also a wonderful opportunity. And that would allow pharmacists to keep those powder supplies so that they could then be strategically used to produce parental opioids in moments of shortage. In, in many Canadian hospitals, they are produced year-long, not in cases of shortage. But if we chose to do that in the United States, we could say that those powder supplies would be a wonderful strategic reserve that could be then rapidly used to produce parental opiates in cases of shortage. Finally, you note in your article that most hospitalized patients and almost all patients with cancer need opioids, at least temporarily. 
and that it's impossible to appropriately treat all of them unless physicians are able and willing to prescribe opioids. So how can physicians be encouraged to continue prescribing opioids to their patients who need them? And this is a wonderful question. There is unfortunately no way we are going to be able to make the prescription of opioids a specialty, something that is completely limited to specialists such as supportive care, palliative care, and pain specialists, because there are just not enough of those around to treat the enormous number of patients who temporarily or chronically will need opioids. So I think institutions need to set strategic pain committees to address how to make very easy for physicians to prescribe these drugs in a safe manner and to minimize the burden One of the problems is that physicians face increasing burden in prescribing and monitoring opioids. And so institutions, by putting some resources in facilitating, checking, for example, the PDMP database for previous opioid use, making it easy to order urinary drug screens when needed, making it very easy to get referrals for complex situations within the health system, Those are measures that would encourage physicians who are still prescribing opiates to maintain the practice, and perhaps many of those who have chosen to abandon the practice of using opiates to go back and take advantage of treating pain with opiates in their patients. Thank you, Dr. Bruera. 